Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Warren Farrell. Warren is a pioneer in the women's movement as the only man elected three times to the board of the National Organization for Women in NYC. He's currently chair of the coalition to create a White House Council on Boys and Men and a pioneer in the men's movement. He is the author of the just published book, The Boy Crisis. So, Warren, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. It sounds like you're making a real contribution to the world. Well, you, you know, I, I, I do try, and I thought your book was a, a really good contrast. I did a show on the pressure on girls, and after reading your book, I see that, um, you know, boys and girls are both under a lot of pressure, but they're under different pressure. And and, and it is important to recognize that because, um, you know, things have changed, especially with you being involved with the women's movement. You know how they've changed, and, um, you know, we need to adapt so that, you know, we have healthier children. We, we really do. Um, one of the things that I think very few people realize about um, boys and men is that we've, in, the, as, in my role with um, being on the board of NOW in New York City, I was always very sort of um, talking a lot about the importance of, you know, girls not having high self-esteem and girls left, being left out of the power structure. And as I came to sort of look more carefully at boys and girls and form hundreds of men's groups and hear where men were talking from their hearts and finally could get in touch with their feelings, I realized that something else huge was going on, and that is that to be a male historically has meant to be trained to be disposable, to be disposable in war or disposable in the workplace. 93% of, of deaths, as you probably know, occur in the workplace, and, um, and, and many of them occur um, at what, or what is called remnant deaths. That is, a person is a firefighter, and he doesn't directly die at work, but he dies from black lung disease um, a few years after work or outside of the workplace, and no one can 100% for sure um, say that the coal miner or firefighter um, was killed at work, um, but he was um, most likely killed through the black lung disease, which was con- which was con- contracted at work. And so, as boys learn to become a man, one of the things is that we learn. Every generation had its war, and every father and mother, you know, especially fathers, said, you know, uh, the boys saw pictures of their fathers or their grandfathers um, uh, in, mar- in a marine uniform, and learned that you know they too could be heroes if they would be willing to be. Re- Willing, willing to risk their lives to serve their country, to, to protect us all, male, female, um, children from having to speak uh, German under Nazi rule. And so um, boys you know, have um, typically been willing to sacrifice their lives in order for what I call the social bribe of being called a hero or being getting the pride of one's, becoming the pride of one's parents or um, being the, the, the person who is dropped who was what I call sun-dropped by the father. So, for example, sun-dropping, an example of sun-dropping would be, you know, a dad dad and mom go to a football game at Thanksgiving at the local high school, and one of their sons is playing, 
and another son is not playing. Um, and so the, the son that's, uh, that's playing um, finally ca- you know, ca- catches a touchdown pass, and the dad goes, that's my son, that's my son, I just caught that pass. And the, the other son, son is standing next to dad and has never heard um, his dad be so excited about having him as a son, and so gets and he so he picks up the message that you know that I am that I have not been willing to risk my disposability to risk a, a spinal cord injury or a concussion playing football, um, and uh, which is basically preparation to be disposable and preparation to associate yourself as a hero and respected and be being proud of um, by being disposable, and so the. So what boys have learned historically is what I call heroic intelligence, and heroic intelligence is preparation for a short life versus health intelligence, which is preparation for a long life, a healthy life, a happy life. And, uh, and so those are so the transition that we need to make from the, the, the way our children were raised, what we call successfully in the old days, which was heroic intelligence. We are now beginning to be able to make a transition to raising our sons with health intelligence, but that means almost everything we did to train our sons to be successful in the past must be questioned for them to create emotional intelligence and health and wellness that you talk about in your program uh, for the future. Well, you know, I, I had actually never thought of it um, this way um, until I read your book that, that, you know, boys are brought up to be disposable. And it, and it does make sense, as you said, sending them off to war. And um, um, it, there's a, a stat in your book um, where you, you I, I used to talk about um, who's likely to be laid off as well. And I, I think men were higher in that. And I think how they feel about it is also a little different. Yes, we saw this especially during the what, what came to be called the man session in 2008, uh, where boys, where, where men were in manufacturing jobs and construction jobs um, are very vulnerable to a recession. When there is a recession, um, you know, many people suffer health-wise, and um, and the health industry during a recession doesn't, you know, um, goes up. Um, in demand, and um, as we know, women are far more likely to be in the health um, uh, professions, and so they're more likely to um, be able to have a job uh, during recessions, whereas men are more likely to lose their job uh, during recessions. And losing a job for a woman and a man are very, very different phenomenon. Um, losing a job is to a man like being um, in a severe car accident and lose, and a, a woman who is who has been trained during her life to, uh, to be a, um, valued as being beautiful um, is, loses her beauty in a car accident. And um, a, a man may lose his um, attractiveness in a car accident too, but it doesn't, it, the, the, the value we place on a man's physical, physical look except for height, uh, the value we place on his physical look aside from height um, is not as great as it is for women, whereas conversely, um, if a man, um, very few women want to marry men in the unemployment line, uh, a man who, um, you know, even if he's reading the boy crisis in the unemployment line <laughs> or, you know, um, or something like, uh, you know, I'm okay, you're okay, or some other self-improvement book in the unemployment line, uh, a woman, particularly a woman who wants to have children, um, she is very, um, uh, uh, very uh, hesitant um, to marry a man uh, when she wants to have children, um, if she um, if that man doesn't have a job unless he has a you know unless he's doing something like um, 
you know, going for to be a medical doctor or an attorney, and he's just about ready to get there. Um, which shows, especially if this is still going on, that, you know, although there's this shift in women going to work, we're, we're still putting that pressure on our boys that, that was there for a long time, except the dynamic has changed a lot. Yes, there, there is a lot of opportunity that happens within this pressure, though. And so what I'm encouraging in the boy crisis, you know, first of all, what I found in the boy crisis is that you know, if we really want to look at health and wellness, the boy crisis is about a lack of health and wellness and education and um, mental health. Um, the suicide levels, the depression rates among boys are extraordinary. So, for example, uh, when boys and girls are nine years of age, both boys and girls very, are very unlikely to commit suicide. Um, but uh, when they get, to, and, but they're equal in numbers um, of suicides that are committed by both boys and girls. Between the ages of 10 and 14, boys are twice as likely to commit suicide. Between the ages of 15 and 19, boys are four times as likely to commit suicide. Between the ages of 20 and 25, um, boys are five and a half times as likely, almost six times as likely to commit suicide. And so um, there's two important things about this. One is we see how uh, the, the, you know, both testosterone and the pressure to be uh, to prove yourself um, as a man um, combined with the minimal uh, amount of social emotional intelligence um, we, we, um, we help men uh, achieve um, makes it very difficult for boys who are feeling um, isolated or lonely um, to, to be encouraged to speak up and say what they're feeling. So in, in college, for example, uh, 75% of the people who visit college counselors and talk with college counselors about suicide are, are women, um, but 75% of the people who commit suicide um, on college campuses are men. And so, um, and males, and this is among the more educated um, group and usually the more emotionally intelligent group of males outside of college where you have males who are often less in touch with their feelings, um, the suicide rate is higher during those years. Um, well, that, that's pretty significant um, that, that boys are being affected in that way. Um, you know, it's showing that there's um, something that's making, um, well, our children depressed, but our boys are affected in a certain way differently than the girls. Because even if the girls are talking about it, the boys are more likely to commit suicide. And and so it, it, it must show a, a desperation um, on their part or that they feel like there's there's no way out past what they're experiencing. Yes, exactly. When when uh, in this was such a big issue that I ended up developing a whole um, you know a whole inventory of what are red flags of suicide and depression uh, that I included in the Boy Crisis book, and it's really uh, and you know some of those, for example, just four uh, four out of those um, sixty three uh, red flags is. Um, um, boys are far more likely to commit suicide when they feel that no one loves them, no one needs them. There's no hope of that changing. And anyone that they might speak with about that which would mostly lose respect for them. Whereas girls, when they are feeling suicidal in, uh, in feelings, um, they, uh, they feel that they're, and, they, and they, let's say, attempt suicide, which, boys, which girls do more frequently than boys, the attempting of suicide is, is, is part of the solution. It's, 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 it's the girl saying, 
I am not committing suicide, but I could be on the verge of doing so. I do believe that in my life there are people who, if I um, reach out for help in this way, will be willing to help me, will, will, be, will put their, lie, their priorities on the back burner and put me for a while on the front burner. And so the attempted suicide the, and the uh, going to the counselor in college, those are part of saying I'm in trouble, I'm shouting, that's part of the solution. Um, and, you know, certainly attempting suicide is a dangerous um, uh, part of the solution, um, but it's, it's part of girls knowing how uh, to ask for help, especially the healthier way, obviously, is going to the counselor. And the much more dangerous way is the, um, is the you know, a slight overdose or cutting or things along those lines. Um, but, the, um, but we have... I, we basically have to work from square one uh, with boys because we we have um, two two major problems going on with boys that that are different from the problems going on with girls. One is the, the one that I've explained before about um, heroic intelligence versus health intelligence. Uh, the sec actually three problems. Sec the second is a, what I call a purpose void, and the third is a dad void. And the three of these together are really um, ex uh, leading to boys doing so much worse than girls. So the purpose void is in the old days, the purpose for boys was to either become that warrior um, or become a sole breadwinner. And Today, fortunately, we need fewer boys to die at war, and we have um, this, the sole breadwinning um, is no longer a characteristic of being male automatically because so many women are also sharing that burden. And so um, with women's help, uh, we're the, so that's the, the good news is that fewer boys have the pressure on them to have to earn all the money for the family, and there are smaller families. And so that, that combination reduces the, the pressure on boys to be the sole breadwinner, but it also wipes out what boys knew was their sense of purpose in the old days. And so there is what I call a purpose void that has developed among boys um, more recently. So when you add the purpose void to the dad void, um, that's when you get into the huge problem. So I found that the, the boy crisis basically, re, the boy crisis resides where fathers do not reside, not only in the United States, but all around the developed countries of the world. So in the 63 largest developed nations, boys are falling behind girls in every single academic subject, and especially in reading and writing, which are the two biggest predictors of success and health and wellness. And so the... Um, so boys are falling behind in these areas, but as I looked more closely, I saw that the reason that in developed countries, two things were happening. One was that there was, a, there was more permission for divorce, and among the boys who were without fathers after divorce, those were the ones that were part of the boy crisis. And then secondly, there was more permission in developed nations uh, for mothers to have children uh, without being married. Now, in the United States, 53% of all women under 30 who have children, 53% have children without being married. Now, you, one might say, like I might, um, you know, gee, what's the big thing about not being married? Well, I, morally speaking, you can argue it in a number of ways, but, the, um, but in terms of the child's contact with the father, well, very few fathers are involved with their children 
more than three and a half years after the child is born if they don't have, if they're not in a married situation. So, it's, so in, in this group of large group of women that are having children without being married, um, many of the children don't even know their dads. Some know their dads, but it's at a very big distance. And the ones even that are living with their dads when they're, uh, when they are born, uh, the chances are very good that after three and a half years, uh, they will not be, um, know or have, they'll have what I call dad deprivation. And it's among those boys with dad deprivation that there is an enormous, um, failure to launch. There is, there is, Dads provide, um, I ended up outlining, when I did the research for the boy crisis, I found uh, nine to ten different, very significant differences in the way that moms parent and that, with the way that dads parent. The children that do the best have a, 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 what I call checks and balance parenting. They have parents that are about equally powerful in their parenting styles, and they constantly communicate with each other about um, what's best for the child in any given circumstance. Um, so, for example, a mother and father will both, you know, be approached by the child, and you know, a boy in particular might say, "Oh, mommy, can I climb the tree?" And then mom will typically say, uh, "Sweetie, maybe in a few years, but not right now. It's too dangerous for you to climb the tree." And approaching daddy, the dad, dad will probably say, "Yeah, but be careful there. Just, just watch out for yourself, sonny." Uh, you know, you could, uh, and so the dad will let him climb the tree. The mom won't. But when mom and dad get into a dialogue about it, a constructive dialogue about it, uh, the chances are fairly good that ultimately the child will end up being able to climb the tree, but only up to a certain point. And with, you know, be, and then only if the dad is underneath the, um, there to, to, to cushion any fall that the child might have. And so the, um, and, and, not, and he will not be allowed to use, have his cell phone out there. And so that type of compromise allows the child to do the climbing of the tree, if you will, um, which, it, which then increases the child's, um, IQ, um, the synapses, um, his judgment as to what is safe and what is not safe is constantly being honed by the experience of that. And at the same time, he's not likely to, um, you know, try to uh, prove himself too much by climbing to the highest, weakest branch and falling um, out and, and killing himself. And so, um, um, so Warren, I'm just, I'm going to, yes, I'm going to interrupt for a, for a second here. We do need to take a quick break. We can continue when we're back. We're talking today with Warren Farrell, and we're discussing his book, The Boy Crisis. We'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events 
to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Warren Farrell. We're discussing his book, The Boy Crisis. So, Warren, I found it really interesting when I did um, my show on on the girls, what, what's going on with our young girls. They're feeling a lot of pressure to be overachievers. You know, they're um, trying to get straight A's and then they're over-involved in things and they're doing all of this stuff to try to get into college, almost like, you know, two or three generations later, we have to prove that we can do what we've fought so hard to do. Whereas the boys, you said, are falling behind in education. And this is an interesting contrast just in a few generations. What is happening to our children? Yes, the boys who, um, when I, I think what I was sharing just before break is that when I did the research for the boy crisis, I saw that there were about nine or ten causes and uh, that boy for boys is falling so far behind. But the single biggest cause by a long shot, aside from, you know, the purpose void that I mentioned just before break, um, is the lack of father involvement. And the single biggest thing that contributes, that, that leads to father children with dads doing so much better than children without dads, especially boys with dads doing so much better than boys without dads, is this 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 different difference in dad style parenting? So, for example, dads will typically roughhouse with the boys and and with their daughters as well. Um, and usually, while dad is roughhousing, let's say um, there's John, Jimmy, and Jane, and you know, dad throws the kids onto the couch, and the game is to is to pin daddy down in a wrestling match um, before daddy can pin all three daughters down. And so mom sees dad setting this game up and throwing the kids on the couch. And they're, they're just laughing away when they're being thrown under the couch. Um, and mom is going, oh, my God, I feel like I have one more child to monitor here. And so the mother is, um, and the mother's thinking to herself, I can see where this is going. Sooner or later, somebody's going to end up crying or hitting their heads or uh, something like that. And, um, and sure enough, with about 100% certainty, the mom's right, and the children do end up crying or hitting their heads. 
and um, and then Dad goes, you know, uh, all right, here's what you should do differently. If you do, if you don't, if you hit your head again, or you, or Jimmy, if you push your, your younger sister out of the way with your elbow, uh, that's not fair. You have to do it this way. Uh, you can fake her out. You can, you know, you can do this and do that, but you can't, um, you know, put, push her out with the elbow. You can't um, use your whole body to to uh, hurt her or whatever. And so Jimmy and John and Jane all agree that they'll behave better. And so then the dad returns to, to the, the, the rough housing, and the mom is looking at the situation and going, you must be crazy. You are, you, uh, my, my feeling, my hint to you that the kids could hurt themselves has come true, and now you're going back and roughhousing more after you saw that this was not dangerous and not, and not good. And, um, and dad never explains that when he's roughhousing, A, the first thing that happens is that he is establishing a bond, a very deep bond with the child, where the child, the children want to be able to please him and do what he he wants because they want that excitement, that roughhousing, that risk-taking again. Um, and so dad will tend to say, uh, when, so when dad says, uh, you can't um, push your, your, your sister aside like that, um, the, the kids all agree to it, but unless they go back and try it out again, um, to see if they, when they're in the middle of excitement, what psychologists call they're experiencing emotional intelligence under fire, then the children don't, in, unless they try it again, go back to the roughhousing, the, the children can't practice knowing the difference between assertiveness versus aggressiveness, when, when I can assert myself and how I can assert myself versus what is too much assertion that becomes aggressive. They don't learn to think about, they, they agree to think about their sisters or brothers, younger brothers' feelings, um, but they really don't end up doing it when, it's un, when they're, too, they're so focused on winning. They, they put the winning over the focusing on the feelings, but what dad is doing by saying there will be no more roughhousing if when you try this again, you don't, um, you, you don't consider your sister's feelings even when you're excited. That's when the children learn to have an experience of the distinction between being assertive versus aggressive. And that's when the, um, the children really begin to, and so the data shows us that children that are raised by parents that roughhouse, mostly dads that roughhouse, are far more likely to be empathetic. Um, so be, they're, they're learning, they're re- being required to think of their sisters and brothers' feelings rather than just think of themselves and focus on their own winning. They're also more likely to be able to distinguish between being assertive and aggressive because it's not just a lecture that is being repeated again and again, like moms will tend to do. They'll say, you know, think of your sisters and brothers' feelings, and the, and the kids will go, yes, 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 and then they'll go back to behaving the, the old way, and mom will repeat it again. And so mom will often look over and say, you know, I'm, I'm, it really sort of upsets and a little bit angers me that, you know, dad can say something once and the kids pay attention to it, whereas I have to repeat and repeat and repeat it and the kids don't pay attention to it. And the reason for that is because when, when mom, um, when mom says something, the kids know it won't, uh, know it's more, less likely to be enforced. And when they're really excited and want to win, um, and focusing on themselves, um, the possibility of something just being repeated to them is not enough to make them um, think of somebody else's feelings or understand that di- distinction between assertiveness versus aggressiveness. However, 
this is just a part of what rough housing alone contributes to um, children's ability to be empathetic and to distinct, make those distinctions and and have um, what is called emotional intelligence under fire. But I have never met a, you know, a dad, and before I did the research for the boy crisis, I didn't know either um, that the, this was the case. And so, you know, moms can't hear what dads don't say. And dads, you know, parenting magazines, uh, even if dads did read them, um, do, do not explain these types of things. And so I found it necessary to explain these things in the boy crisis so with at least the hope that fathers would uh, would read what they do that is a benefit to the children, um, that, that, but they do it so instinctively that they just think that they and the kids are having fun without realizing the benefit to that fun. Well, so, um, you know, it's good for dads to know that. But at the same time, what do um, single mothers do if they want to make sure that their boys learn these lessons and their children, really, because not having a dad affects girls as well? I mean, you know, there's a lot more single parents out there. So how can they bridge that gap? Yes, really important question. So first, is to, I'm going to give some concrete ways in a minute, but um, a less concrete way that is absolutely the most important one, most hopeful one, is to understand, for the mom to go through and the boy crisis book and look at the ways that the, that the things that dads do that are different, that, uh, that she's skeptical of, like the roughhousing, like boundary enforcement, like, um, like when the kids are failing at something, like they fall on a, on a ski slope, why the dad gets you know, the kid up, up and has the kid go back down and try the ski slope again, why the dad is not as um, interested in letting the child um, change teachers if they're doing badly in school. And so these are the types of tensions between moms and dads that very few moms or dads know. Now, the value of moms knowing this is that when moms value what dads contribute and even maybe know more about the value of what dads tend to contribute than the dad himself does, that men respond by getting involved with anything that we are told will make us more loved and respected. This is why men were willing to go to war and die. Uncle Sam said, we need you to protect the women, children, the country. And men said, okay, I'll do anything. I'll even die if I'm needed. And so moms need to understand, if you're a single mom and you know who the biological father is, to let the biological dad know here are the nine or ten things that don't come naturally to me. You enforce boundaries really well. When you enforce boundaries really well and you do it so naturally and easily, um, and then you go ahead and, and, the, and that, that will help my son and daughter have postponed gratification. Postponed gratification will help them do better in school or in any sport or activity they're interested in doing. I need you for that. When dads feel needed like that as opposed to just to be told what to do when they're, when they're parenting, and therefore, they just feel like a babysitter. And when they feel that way, they get out. They 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 get it. Uh, they get out of the process. They withdraw, uh, or even if they get involved, they get involved earning money as opposed to um, spending time with the children because they feel their money is more valued than their time. When we now know that 
any father that's involved, uh, that's, uh, when a family is earning between sixty and eighty thousand dollars a year, depending on where in the U.S. and Canada, and that's sixty to eighty thousand U.S. dollars, which would be about twenty-seven percent more uh, for Canadian dollars. Um, when you're when you're earning about that much, your time is um, from that point on. Dad's time is worth more than Dad's dime, and so when moms value that, and and when we start talking about dads being father warriors, that's when dads will get back in the game to a much greater degree. That said, there are some um, moms that just do not have any ability to access dads for any number of reasons. And so um, I very much encourage um, a number of things. One is um, Cub Scouts. Boy Scouts, um, they have a history of being able to train boys with the um, discipline and also the the best aspects of masculinity and to minimize the um, worst aspects, aspects of masculinity. Uh, there's something called the Mankind Project, MKP, in the U.S., Canada, Australia, um, and England um, that is very active and very um, constructive on getting boys to understand the connection to their dads, the connection to their feelings, um, and to minimize the toxicity of, of certain aspects of masculinity and, um, and to be able to focus on emotional health intelligence to a much greater degree. There are a number of initiation programs around the country, um, around the you know, around the developed nations, which are, are useful adventure programs, getting boys out in the wilderness um, with other boys and having them um, do adventures together and bond and share their feelings and fears is very helpful. If you're oriented, if you're oriented toward a faith-based community, uh, whether it's um, you know, Protestant, Catholic, um, Jewish, um, or uh, we get together with a priest, a minister, a rabbi, and a mom. And uh, make sure that the, 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 the faith-based leader that you select is one that you trust and care about and that is creative, that um, particularly that the faith-based leader gets together groups of boys of about, a, um, of about your son's age. And so the boy, and with the boys being encouraged to share their feelings and their fears and their worries with each other, because when boys do that, they don't feel so alone and alienated, and they tend not to withdraw nearly as much. And so when, when work like that has been done, it has, and even if it's not faith-based, if you have any um, leader in the community that can get together groups of boys of a similar age, um, as a fellow named Ashanti Branch has done in Oakland, um, California, um, he got together uh, boys who were having problems in schools in a poor community, and uh, almost all of which were destined to not graduate from high school. And by getting them to talk with each other and share their feelings and their fears, um, every single one of them ended up graduating from high school. That, that's really amazing to to hear stories like that because um, we know really I, I think what everybody needs is is support but we we need it in different ways and um, you know boys often are taught not to talk about their feelings as well and so then they they I think that's where they end up with with those the suicidal feelings and going through that because they don't know how to express it whereas girls we're that's what we do <laughs> we're yeah, very good at absolutely. ruminating and talking about stuff um, but the the boys aren't and then a lot of time they're they're brought up not to um, so to have that community I, it sounds very important absolutely and we so you know if we were if we really and also to the other thing that I think that we can do if you're if you're beyond if you have enough 
time, energy, and sense of efficacy to work with your school system um, to really encourage your school system um, to hire male teachers. Um, male teachers are e- needed enormously because when children, the children who have the biggest problems, as I said, were dad deprived. So if you go to a, de- a, a family uh, where there's minimal or no father involvement, into a school in which there's no male role models either. And then it's not, it doesn't take a, you know, a, a, an author of the boy crisis or anything else to just understand that if you get to, if, if a child has had no constructive adult male role model and he's now nine or ten years of age, uh, that it's going to be very tempting for him to get involved in, with some guy that seems that, like a drug dealer or a, um, um, uh, or, you know, or a gang leader who, you know, seems like he knows it all and wants him to join the gang and sell, and promises him to have a reputation um, and identity if he does join the gang. Um, when when testosterone is not channeled well um, by a father or um, multiple positive role models, um, stepfathers can be helpful, grandfathers can be helpful, but no one is going to be as helpful as a biological father because in the final analysis, the child looks in the mirror and he sees the, he sees body language and eyes and nose and hair that is similar to his father's, and he wor- worries and wonders who he is. Um, we have uh, my my wife adopted a daughter from a former in a former marriage, and um, and one day the uh, a rancher came and visited us from New Zealand, and was telling us a story about these twelve ducklings that were raised by the a chicken. And uh, one day the ducklings were big enough to, you know, to wobble down the the, um, the hill to a lake that they had at the bottom of the hill, um, and the ducklings all jumped into the, uh, the into the lake and were swimming so happily. And the mother chicken, the chickens that took over the uh, the raising of the ducklings, while they after the mother and father ducklings were killed, uh, the chicken went berserk, uh, just you know, because the chicken can't swim and the ducks can swim and the. the Chicken is going to so we're going to kill themselves. And so my do- uh, the my wife's adopted um, daughter from a former marriage uh, speaks up and said, "Yeah, that's the way I feel, like a mm. duck raised by a chicken." And so um, it's you know the the power of the biological parent um, is very important. And you mentioned a second ago, a little while ago, about the um, it being important to the girls as well. There's about 70 different areas where children suffer when they don't have father involvement, and those children and in most of those areas, girls also suffer, and particularly they suffer in their relationships to men, and they're far more likely a girl without a father a father to be um, involved sexually with a boy at at such an early age that they have children out of wedlock and uh, while they are teenagers. And so um, because oftentimes girls who don't have father involvement um, feel that don't know the male male non-sexual energy well enough um, to feel that comfortable if she's afraid of losing a guy. She just feels like, well, the one thing I know that I can do to keep a guy is to have sex with him. And so she doesn't ask about what she's comfortable doing. Uh, she responds just to keep the guy, and that can often result in, in um, you know, sex um, without a father's involvement um, that leads to pregnancy while she's a teenager. Yeah, which is, you know, very important. Um, We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Dr. Warren Farrell, and we're discussing his book, The Boy Crisis. We'll be back shortly.
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Dr. Warren Farrell, and we're discussing his book, The Boy Crisis. So you you talked earlier, um, or you just alluded to boundary enforcement. What, how important is that? It turns out to be really important. And so I'll, I'll give you an example um, how it happens. But most important is the slippery slope that occurs when boys don't have boundary enforcement. Um, so, for example, moms and dads will both set boundaries the same way. Um, both will say, you can't have ice cream until you finish your peas. Children will test boundaries the same way. Um, Mom, Dad, um, okay, I had a few more peas. Now can I have my ice cream? Um, and, but the, the, that's where things change, which is the next level, which is the enforcement of boundaries. The child will say, you know, can I ha- I've had this many more peas. Can I have my ice cream now? And mom will then usually say, feel very proud of herself and say, I'll tell you what, you can't have your ice cream now, but you can have this many more peas. Maybe she takes and takes 10 more peas. And then the kid has five more peas and says, okay, I had had more peas. Can I have my ice cream now? And mom is thinking, I can really make the point here that he should finish the peas. Or I can make the point that he can um, have, that he didn't have the 10 more peas. He just had five more peas. But am I really going to get into a big argument over a few peas? I don't think so. That would be terribly insensitive, especially in a divorce situation where she's already feeling guilty. And so she'll let it go. So whereas dad was far more likely to say some version of, um, excuse me, um, we have a deal here. And the deal here is you finish the peas, you can have your ice cream. Um, And the child goes, oh, you are so mean. Mom doesn't do that. 
And so that is more likely to go, um, well, um, you can continue whining and complaining, and then there'll be no more ice cream tomorrow night either. And so what the, um, the child with the mother has learned to do is to manipulate a better deal and to focus his attention on how to manipulate that better deal. What the child has learned to do with the dad is to no matter how much he doesn't like finishing those peas, is that he knows he's not going to get the ice cream until he finishes his, his peas, so he focuses attention on finishing the peas and therefore does not get attention deficit disorder nearly as often. So children raised predominantly by dads, only 15% have attention deficit ADHD, uh, whereas children raised predominantly by moms 30% do, and you can get a sense from the, the requirement of the dad is to focus the attention, which, and the children learn, the child or children learn to focus the attention on doing what they need to do in order to get what they want to do. And that leads to the single biggest predictor of success. The single biggest predictor of success is postponed gratification, the child learning that it has to finish um, the peas before it gets what it wants, the, um, the ice cream. And so the children with postponed gratification uh, avoid a, a, an enormous slippery slope that is true for both sexes, but much more true for boys, um, which is basically this. The child without postponed gratification goes to school, um, learns to fit, um, gets gets a homework assignment, but during the homework assignment is distracted by a text that comes in, is distracted by a, an offer to play a new video game, doesn't get the homework done, doesn't get good grades, uh, doesn't get much praise from the teachers, doesn't get much pride from the parents. Um, when it comes to boy-girl time, um, the girls aren't interested in dating losers, so they're not interested in dating him. And so he starts withdrawing. Uh, he may be withdrawing into um, video game addiction, he may draw in, withdraw into drug addiction, hence the enormous opioid crisis that we have in the United States and parts of Canada. Um, we do, um, uh, we, or he withdraws into, um, at boy-girl time, pornography because pornography gives him access to a variety of attractive women um, without fear of rejection. Um, at a price he can afford. <laughs> and um, and so these types of addictions, uh, and then the more he's addicted in this way, the less good he feels about himself, the more shame he feels, the more likely he is to be de- to be depressed. And, um, and when he sees that he's not doing as well as his peers to become potentially suicidal. Um, and in the worst case scenarios, there's such anger that he's not appreciated and his, his sensitivity, his intelligence is not appreciated at school, um, that he takes it out of the school and does the school shooting because in the United States you have, um, uh, unlike UK and, um, and uh, Canada, you have not only the, the dad deprivation, but you also have um, a gun um, addiction by the culture. And so when you have the, the dads being out of the picture and guns being in the picture, you have the setup for mass shootings. In Canada, you have a lot of shootings, but they're, they're sole. They're shootings that are limited to one or two or three people being killed. In the United States, with our greater addiction to guns, you have a, a greater ability for lots of people to be killed and therefore for the boy to think, okay, for one day, I get one five-minute period, I can, I can get my attention by shooting up a bunch of people at school, um, and I can therefore um, have people say, I wish I had paid attention to him um, rather than neglected him, and, and or you have the, the bigger mass shootings uh, that are not school shootings, but almost all of your mass shootings in the United States are done by boys who have minimal father involvement or no father involvement. 
Well, it, this is uh, pretty significant, and um, it, it's nice to know that there is something we can do about that void where we don't have to say, oh, you don't, you know, your father's not around, you're doomed, that uh, we just have to understand what our children need so that we can provide that for them. Yes, and we need to have children. Another huge thing that we can do is we need to start training our children in communication skills in first and second and third grade. That should be, that is, that is a greater predictor of success and happiness than knowing algebra or trigonometry or any given subject except your reading and writing compete with that. But you know, communication is very important. If we want to have fewer divorces, we need to, I do couples communication courses all around the country because I've seen that you know, the boy crisis often starts with divorces and divorces start because people can't communicate, um, parents can't communicate. And so if we really want to get to the underlying root of it, it's um, getting men and women to know how to communicate, not with each not just with each other, but to, you know, children and, and peers of the same sex and people of different political ideologies as well. Um, yeah, yeah, which is, is pretty significant. And, and I agree with you that we should be, you know, schools should step up with, with this as well, because it is a systemic issue. Um, and, uh, you know, we do need to learn how to communicate. And there's a lot, I think, missing in our education system that, that we just need as people. We need to learn how to take care of ourselves and we need to learn how to communicate. And, you know, there's some other gaps there that I think that we haven't looked at it to go, okay, what do we actually need in our society? <laughs> to to help everyone Absolutely. succeed, yeah. And we we need to train. You know, we, we we used to have a sense of purpose for boys being warriors and dying. Well, now we need to redirect that, and we need to talk to, about boys becoming father warriors. And that means our parents training a boy when there's a new child being born to change diapers, to feed the child, to care for the, his brother or sister's feelings, uh, to be a babysitter in the neighborhood, to be a babysitter for the children, uh, to learn, um, to learn skill, to be valued and cared for. This also will free women to be have what we, what women are often saying, well, you know, a man can have a wife, a children, and a career. Uh, well, a woman can have a wife, a child, and a career also if she's willing to marry a man who's focused on being the one to raise the children, then she can go off and have a career that's um, more success-oriented while the children are being raised successfully by the father. There is no group of children that is raised more successfully than a group of children in an intact family raised predominantly by a dad uh, with a mother who is career-oriented, but mothers do not, as a rule, ever neglect their children. They tend to come home, you know, they'll, they'll give up making a trip to the, you know, to, to the United States from Calgary um, in order, because the child's recital, the child's birthday, the um, child has an important day, and they'll fight for that balance between work and um, being with their children. Men have often not learned to fight for that balance. Well, and, and, you know, things have changed even in um, when my mom was growing up in, in those generations where, you know, the woman looked after the kids in the home and the men went off to work and came home and, you know, they were kind of, the, the stereotype is tuned out of everything. And, and that, that has changed just with women working. But, but the balance has, has changed a lot. So what we need to do is find where both parents can work and both parents can come home and, and spend time with their family and, and, and bond in, in the ways that the children need as opposed to one parent that's just off doing the heroic thing of making money and and doing all of that. Absolutely. And and, um, we need to, 
educate corporations that the the, mo- the brightest and the best are now increase of men in particular are now beginning to um, consider it the most the perk that they most value is the perk of having fewer hours rather than more hours. So in the, if you go, if you talk to most CEOs of major corporations, they often work 80, 90 hours a week, and in a way they're never off from work. They're 24-7 working. But So we need to have our um, MBA programs train men and women to be co-CEOs, where there's three or four CEOs working together as a team um, to uh, so that they can work round the clock, but they only work round the clock um, as a team, and each of them um, learns to, you know, to work more than more of it, more around the forty-hour-a-week level, um, but um, and then communicate um, about the what's going on um, with each other, and so that needs to be the new training uh, for um, CEOs, so that that the, that the job can get done, but it can get done with good coordination among multiple CEOs um, who work together as a team, like any football or baseball team would work together. Mm-hmm. Um, well, th- thank you so much for joining me today. I, th- I think this was a, an important topic, and I, I enjoyed it. Thank you. It was wonderful talking to you, too. May, may I share where people can get the Boy Crisis? Book? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, um, right now, Amazon is having a sale on the Boy Crisis book, so that's the least expensive place to get it. Um, the... Uh, um, uh, if you wish to support, if you have a bit more money and you can support a local bookstore, then please, um, you know, ask the, um, the bookstore to to order the Boy Crisis before the holidays. And um, I think it's a really wonderful gift to give um, a, a parent or a, your your son or daughter if they're raising a child. Well, thank you so much. Um, so anybody who who has a son or knows a son, I think it's important to, um, to to read this book just to make sure whether you're a dad or a mom that your son is getting what they need. Um, so if you want more information about my story and what I went through, you can read that on my blog site at dr-risk.com. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram, your favorite social media website. And um, don't forget to email questions at anantacalgary at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening today. Be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america health and wellness channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericahealth.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network it's staff and management.